Pastor Javen will continue our series called Money Perspective, where we are trying to create the proper space to have the proper biblical perspective on money. Today, we'll ask ourselves the question, what makes me content? So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. While you're standing with me, we're going to go into God's Word and read the text for this morning, for today. It's in Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. start at verse 6 and he says these words to Timothy and to the listeners and to us today. He said, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, and hopefully this can be said of us all today, our man, Maybe you're a lady here today. You're a woman of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue instead righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tight, tight, tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before so many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you, uh, with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The words of Paul inspired by God to many thousands of years ago and still alive to us today. May our desire be to pursue God over anything else in this life because he is the one who has everything we need. He answers every need we have. So Father, we thank you for this word today. We thank you that your your word is still alive and well today. And it moves in our hearts. 
So, Father, we just pray now that the word that has been read today would manifest itself within us, God, become alive in us. Let it become real to us, God. Let it challenge us where we need to be challenged. Let us grow us where we need to be grown. Let it be rooted deep within us, Father. Let our heart's desire in this life be to pursue you above all else. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen and amen. Give the game of life. You play it. Yeah, I play it every day. You play this game with your family before? Maybe, you know, you and your wife, you, you said, let's have a game night. You pull, no, you, I don't know if you did that. But you play this with a family, the game of life. You know the object of this game, right? The object of this game is, look, I got money for trying to fall out of here. The object of this game is to be the first to retire, right? And to retire and have the most what? Money. The most money, the most stuff to obtain it all. Now, there's one thing about this game that I've never gotten, that when you retire, they look at how many kids you have and they give you money for all those kids you have. I've never known that to happen in anybody's life. In fact, most kids take people's money, uh, as they go through life. Um, but, uh, but that's the game of life, right? You're, you're working to try to obtain as much as you can and you win when you win, when you end up with the most, right? We live in a culture that pushes us and causes us to not just want more, but to think we need more, right? It's the culture we live in. And, you know, those who are in the advertising, the marketing agencies, you guys do a phenomenal job. I'm not here to condemn you today. You are doing your job if you work in that business. You're doing a phenomenal job because we are all also aware of, of everything that we can have. And, and we're pushed to think that we need the more, right? If you ask my family, um, you know, I, and, and I am not holier than thou. I have bought things to replace things that did not need to be replaced before. Okay. I have done that. Just probably most all of us has done that. But most of the time when someone in my family comes to me and says, Hey, I need a new, my first response is what's wrong with the one you have. <laughs> right? Some of you may, it's quiet in here. I don't know if I, if this is convicting or if you're like, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. <clears throat> What's wrong with the one you have? Is it literally broken that you have to have another one or, you know, can go, let's get the duct tape. Let's see if we can fix it. Um, if not, then may, we'll look into seeing, can we get something new? Because we live in a culture that drives us not to just see what we want, but to think we need more. Listen to this stat. This, this number is staggering to me. Uh, again, if you're in this business, uh, this world of business, no condemnation, you chose a great business to be in. In America, there are over 2.8, there is over 2.8 billion square feet of rentable storage space. 2.8 billion square feet. The units that are typically rented the most are not the smallest units. They're the largest units. Anywhere from 100 to 200 square feet of space rented to store your stuff. Now, listen, I get it. Sometimes we have to have those, right? Because we're moving. We're moving houses. We got to put our stuff somewhere until we get into the new place, right? We've got to store our stuff. But, But get this. 
90%, over 90% of that 2.8 billion square feet of rental space, over 90% of that space has been used since 2015. People spending over $39 billion a year to store stuff. $39 billion. Now, obviously, that's not one person. That's the collective. But that's a lot of money, right, to store stuff. And, and let's think about this. A lot of us are blessed to not just have homes. We have homes for our cars, right? We call them garages. Um, and, uh, and so we have a garage. And, and some, some, some can't park their car in their garage because their garage is full of stuff, Right? Because we live in a culture that drives us to see not just what we want, but to think we need more, right? That's the culture that we live in. That's where we are. So last week we started this, uh, this series and we're calling it Money Perspective. We're saying we're trying to hope is to create the proper space, to have the proper perspective, to properly understand money. And we started last week looking at the fact that God owns it all. God owns everything. And that he has called us to be a steward of what he has entrusted us with that belongs to him. And how we steward, how we manage, he will reward based on that. He will reward based on how we steward. If we steward well, if we don't steward well, we said we don't just mismanage the resources that God has given us. We don't just mismanage the time, the talents, the treasures that God has trusted us with, that God has blessed us with. We mismanage his trust because he trusted us with that. But if we manage well, then God will reward us with more trust and more opportunity to do for the kingdom of God. But we're all going to be held accountable for how we steward what he's trusted us with. This week, I want us to think about from this perspective to understand that it's hard to make the proper space, to have the proper perspective, to properly understand money when we're constantly filling our spaces with stuff. We have to shift our perspective from the mindset that says, I like it, I love it. I need some more of it (laughs) to I'm thankful. I'm blessed. I don't need it. We've got, you know, we've got to shift our perspective to that regards. Here's, here's the thing again about our culture and what we're, what we're seeing. It's not that we don't have for the majority of us. It's not that we don't have, it's that we're made aware of what else we could have. And that awareness produces in us a desire, a desire for more. And that desire and that appetite, what it does is it sparks discontentment in our life. We are pushed to be discontent with what we have. See, the awareness of more is a desire. Like we said, it's an appetite. Here's the thing about appetites. Appetites are never fully satisfied. They're never fulfilled. They're satisfied for a moment. And in fact, when you satisfy that appetite in the moment, typically what happens is that appetite grows even more. 
I mean, you think about it just from the standpoint of eating food. You get appetite. You get hungry. You eat. It's satisfied for a moment. But eventually you're going to want more. And the more you eat, the more that appetite grows. Especially when you find something that really tastes good, right? Appetites are never fully satisfied unless that desire is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is another reason we need God to transform our desires like we talked about several weeks ago. And as God transforms our desires, here's what happens to us. We learn to be content. Look at what Paul said in in one of his other letters that he wrote to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter four, verse 11. He says, not that I was ever in need. He said, "For, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or with little. I was having lunch a few weeks ago with a friend of mine and he was talking about this passage of scripture and he was telling me how that phrase jumped out to him in a way that it had never jumped out to him before that Paul said he learned to be content. That contentment, obviously, is not something that comes natural to us. That it was something that he had to grow in an understanding of, of what it meant to be content. The word in the Greek is manthano, and it, and it means exactly what we think it means. is to gain an increase in knowledge, to learn something. But in that culture, in the way that word was typically used, the way you gain that knowledge was through the use, through, through, through the habit of something, through being habitual in a practice of. So what Paul was saying was that he created a lifestyle where he put into habitual practice being content. And that then when he did that, contentment became a part of his life. And then the next verse, or the next thing that we read is a verse that we don't even have to put on the screen because most of us know it. It's the verse that so many people quote, athletes quote it all the time. It gets written on shoes, on gloves, on jerseys, all over the place. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul is saying is the only way I learned contentment The only way I was able to put into practice and to grow in this habit of becoming content in life, no matter whether I had a lot or I had nothing, the only way I was able to grow in that practice was because God gave me the strength to do it. And we can put that concept into into place in anything we're trying to grow in and anything we're trying to do in our life with God. The only way the habits in our life that need to change, change is because God gives us the strength to do it. Right? Paul said he learned to be content. And so then he wrote in this letter to Timothy. And in this letter, there's obviously a group of people that missed out on Jesus' teaching that we referenced last week, where Jesus said, You cannot serve two masters. You'll either serve God or you'll serve money. You've got a group of people, it seems like here, that, that would fall in that category that we looked at and talked about last week the rich, ungodly category that are using the gospel of Christ, not for the glory of God, but to bring gain to themselves. And Paul writes in his letter, in this portion of his letter to Timothy, and he says, look, 
if you, if anyone else that you, you had the, the opportunity to in your body to minister to, if they are seeking on how to gain more godliness with contentment, that's true gain. Godliness with contentment, that's true wealth. That, in other words, that's Paul's way of saying, seek first the kingdom of God. And the richness from that will overflow in your life. Don't trade what God can give you for what you're trying to pursue for yourself. Don't trade your productivity in the kingdom of God for satisfaction and glorification of yourself. It was one day that Jesus was teaching out in the crowds like he did often. And while he was teaching, Luke tells us about this account where he's teaching and someone yells out from the crowd and they say, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide up our father's estate evenly with me. And Jesus seems to be kind of taken aback by this. He's like, listen, I'm just a teacher who, why now all of a sudden am I standing as judge in a court to tell somebody how they're supposed to divide up their estates. But Jesus, knowing the heart of people, goes into a teaching and you just, I just wonder the dude that yelled this out in the crowd, when Jesus went in this teaching, you know, was he just kind of like slipping back away as Jesus went into the teaching, he started it this way. We see in Luke chapter 12 verse 15, he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you And then Jesus goes into this teaching, this parable. He often did. He loved to tell stories. He's the best storyteller there was. And he goes into this story about a, what he calls a rich fool who's living his life. And he's been obtaining a lot of stuff for himself and storing it up. And he seems to be doing it in the place of where he's lost anyone else in his life. He, he's, it appears through the parable that he has no relationship with anyone. When he's done all this and he's gained nothing from it because his life is about to be taken that night. Jesus tells him, you've been so rich in storing up riches for yourself instead of storing up a rich relationship with the heavenly father. Look at what he says in verses 20 to 21. This is how Luke recorded Jesus's words. God said to him, you fool. God, it would be horrible for God to call you a fool, wouldn't it? You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? This is where it appears that because he was so driven to get, he lost everyone he had. Then the next verse, he says, yes, a person is a fool. This is why God called him a fool, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You know, just thinking about that whole, the whole concept and the whole mindset of the fact that, you know, these teachings about money seem to be wrapped a lot around the end of our life. Jesus in this parable is talking about his life's going to end in first Timothy in, in that letter, in the passage we read this morning, Paul points out God, Jesus will return one day. James, we looked at a passage from James last week. James talked about 
the end of time will come. Jesus, the Matthew 25 passage we looked at last week, I told you that passage was in the very middle of a teaching that Jesus was doing on the end times. And I made this statement last week, what you are blessed with today has an eternal significance. But there seems to be a lot about the end of life. Let's think about that for a second. First of all, I want to think this was put in, I heard this mentioned one time, and this is kind of convicting when you think about the, think about all this. Think about heaven and how heaven is described. If we're thinking about the end time, let's think first about heaven and how heaven is described. It's described as a place with streets of gold. If you know scripture, you've heard it described that way before. It has gates adorned with the finest of jewels, right? The houses are described as mansions. It seems to be a place of great wealth, right? Heaven is also described as the place where we will spend eternity in the presence of the creator, our God and our Lord, our heavenly father and Jesus Christ. Now, when you listen to teachings about heaven, what excites you more? The roads of gold, the pearly gates, the mansions, the sound of wealth, or being in the presence of God. Jesus is saying, so why store up all these riches in sacrifice of a rich relationship with God? And and he says to him, he says, who is going to get your stuff? Think about that. Wouldn't you want to leave behind in this life more than just stuff? Listen, that's great. It can be a blessing to those that you leave it to, or it could be a curse depending on what you're leaving and how much stuff they're going to have to go through. But wouldn't you want to leave behind a bigger story, a better legacy than just more stuff? Jesus said it this way. He said, what profit is there? What benefit is there? What gain is there to obtain the whole world but lose your soul? What benefit is there to pursue and get everything of value that the world puts value on. But sacrifice your soul in the process of doing it. Is there anything, Jesus said, is there anything more valuable than your soul? There's not. And that's why our desire to be more, our desire to get more, will often cost us more than we'll ever realize because of what we sacrifice in pursuit of it. God knows what we need. Jesus said it, Paul's echoing it all over his letters. Seek first the kingdom of God. When God God, who is the beginning and the end, when he laid out the commandments, when he laid out the law, the first law to Moses, the 10 commandments, and he gave him that law, Watch how he bookended it, all right? First one, number one, number 10, at least the way we read it in our scripture, how Moses was told it. Number one, God said, don't put any gods before you. And then he goes through the commandments and he ends it. Number 10, don't covet. Don't covet. 
what others have. Covetousness is essentially greed. It's a desire for more. Because what you covet, you're desiring more of. And you're saying, here's what you're saying. When you're coveting more of this, then you're saying God is not enough. So God, who is the beginning and the end, he knows the beginning from the ending, knew that our desire for more and our constant covetousness in our life would be the God that we put before him. This is what happened in the garden. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had everything they needed around them. Everything they needed. But the enemy, who's smart, knew how to tempt them. The first marketing scheme we ever see. He made them aware. And again, I'm not condemning condemning marketing. It, It sounds like I'm not. He made them aware of what they thought they needed. And that awareness created in them an appetite and a desire that caused a distraction that led to destruction. If our momentary contentment is defined by obtaining more things, then we're putting more worth on what we obtain than the worth we put in our relationship with God. Because we pursue what we believe will give us all that we think we need. That's why what we pursue matters. Not only that, what we pursue shows what we're putting first in our life. It shows what we're worshiping. Don't pursue more stuff more than you pursue a relationship with God because only God can provide what you need. You know, they say it's better to learn from other people's mistakes, right? And then you're on. We, we looked at some of the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago. Let's go back and let's just hear a few more words from Solomon. It's in Ecclesiastes, just a few statements from him. We'll look at Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 4 first. We'll start there. He says this. He said, I observed that most people, most people, and, and you might can relate or see this in our culture as re- still today, are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and a chasing after the wind. I observe yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who's all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, Sounds a lot like Jesus' parable, doesn't it? Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. All this stuff I'm trying to obtain at the sacrifice of no one in my life is meaningless. Chapter 5, you look at verse 10. He makes this statement. Those who love money, I'll never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings such true happiness. And you skip down to verse 15. He says, we all come 
to the end. A lot of this sounds very familiar to what we're hearing in these passages. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed, just as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. This, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. And two more verses from chapter 6, verse 7, he says, All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. And then he says this in verse 9, he says, Enjoy what you have, rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon points out that the pursuit of money and things and prominence, it is not going to bring you true joy. It might bring you pleasure in a moment, but it's not the source of your joy. That's why Paul wrote in this letter to Timothy that we read earlier, that we see in verse 9, that people who long to be rich, they fall into this temptation, this trap. They're trapped by these foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. It's also why Paul continued in his letter to Timothy to explain that contentment in this life is not complacency. When he tells them to be content, that godliness with contentment is great gain, He's not telling them to be complacent. There should be a pursuit in your life. But Paul defines the pursuit as this in verse 11. Let's look at it again. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all that pursuit and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Seek first the kingdom of God. Contentment is found, Paul says, in redirecting our pursuit. Run from the pursuit of more and pursue more of God in your life. Don't trade your pursuit of God for the pursuit of more. So maybe we need to sit and look at our life and just say, am I trading my relationship for God for more stuff? We say we work to get Money, because money serves our purposes. And it does, and that's true. But if we're not careful, our longings, our desires, our cravings for more will cause us to serve the money that we're working for and the stuff that we're trying to obtain. Listen, what good is it to work so hard Even if you have a family and you say, I'm working hard for my family, you need to work hard for your family. You need to work hard to obtain and to provide and make a living and have for your family so that you can meet the needs of your home. But what good is it to work so hard for those you love that you become consumed in the work and you lose those you love? We call it good intentions. But if it's destroying us, if it's destroying our family, if it's destroying our faith, 
It's not of God. Don't trade your pursuit of God for the pursuit of more stuff. Solomon said, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Paul told Timothy in that letter, he said, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Those words are echoed in, in the book of Hebrews. We see it in Hebrews thirteen five. The writer there said, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. In other words, seek first the kingdom of God and your relationship with God. He's never going to let you down. It's what Pastor Brian was saying this morning. God will never let you down. And if your God is the God and the creator of this universe, he will never let you down. But if your God is what you are pursuing more than the God and the creator of this universe, then that God will let you down. God always provides. Again, that's why what we pursue matters because what we pursue, it shows what we think we need. It shows where our desires are. It shows what we love. And what we love has power over us. Paul said, trust God with everything you have and with everything you need. And he told him in in verse 17, he said, it's for your enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy life. What you work for, what you get, what what he's entrusted you with, what you've been blessed with. He wants you to enjoy that. Have fun with that. My family, we love to have fun. We love to make memories. We try to enjoy the things that we have. Enjoy those things. But the difference is, he's not saying that you can't obtain. He's saying that desire to obtain often becomes greater than our desire for relationship with him. And that's the problem. Look one more time at Ecclesiastes and what Solomon said. Chapter 5, verse 18. He said, I have noticed one thing. At least that is good. It's good for people to eat, drink, enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. That indeed is a gift from God. That's what we talked about last week. He gave it to you. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. And when he says that, you know, looking into this and looking at it, it was so interesting to me. The word enjoy is the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means you have an enjoyment because of your perspective. That was so cool to me. Your perspective on what you have influences your joy because God rewards you. Kailek, he gives you a portion to enjoy. He entrusts you with what you have. Use it wisely and enjoy it. And again, watch what Paul tells Timothy, verses 17 and 18. 
Teach those who are rich in this world. Those who are rich. Those of you who have extra. It defines most of us in here, right? Those of you who can help people move with boxes because of the all the Amazon boxes you have at your house, right? Teach those who are rich not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Your resources is a counterfeit piece. It's not real. The only real peace is that which comes from God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Don't be prideful, he says. Don't be arrogant. In other words, your self-worth is not defined by your net worth. And don't pursue more stuff because that's not where your hope should be in. Pursue God, who is your true source of hope. Enjoy what he has blessed you with. And don't miss the opportunity to also do good with what he's blessed you with. Because more opportunity to do for the kingdom of God is better than more stuff. Remember our question from earlier? Javen, you asked several, which, what are you rolling on? Wouldn't you rather leave this life leaving behind more than just stuff? Remember what Jesus told them, that, that passage we said in Luke chapter 12? Man is not measured by how much he owns. The value of life is often measured by how much of it is given away. That's what Jesus taught us. And that's what Jesus demonstrated to us. That's the value of life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Enjoy what you have. Don't be deceived. Don't plunge into destruction. Redirect your awareness away from more stuff. And put your awareness on the more of God. God, make me more aware of your goodness. Make me more aware of who you are. Make me more aware of what you have called me to in this life. Pursue what he has in you. And you learn to be content. So, is the van still here? Can we do that last song? Sorry, I threw him a curveball. I told him we were going to end one way. I'm changing it up. I didn't know they were doing that last song they did because it fits so well. But I want us to understand. I want to give you some practical steps today to, to learn contentment. Learning contentment happens with intentional gratitude. Intentional gratitude. So here's a, some things that, that I would just want to create. Here's homework. All right? They say it takes 21 days to make a habit. So here's homework for the next 21 days. When you pray, you know, often we're praying, we're filling our prayers with our needs, right? Take some time to pray. Maybe you do this already. 
Take some time to pray and only give thanks in your prayers. Only thank God in your prayers for what you've done. Or, or for what God's done for you in your life. Just prayers of thanksgiving. Just begin to bless, thank him for, his, for, for all of his blessings, all of his provisions, all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his mercy. Thank him for everything that you can possibly thank him for. Another thing. Begin to write down the things you're thankful for. Pastor Casey used to talk about this all the time. Talk about his gratitude journal. You don't have to have a literal notebook. We have these things nowadays that have note apps on them. All you have to do is tell it, hey, you know who, put in my note that I'm thankful for. It's so easy, right? Begin to make note of the things that you're thankful for. When you sit and you have conversations with someone, maybe there's someone that you talk to on a regular basis, add into those conversations what you're thankful for. If you have someone that holds you accountable in this life, that they ask you questions in your life. You may be like, well, Jamie, what are you talking about? Well, maybe we need to talk about that another day. But someone that asks you about how things are going in your life, tell them to add to those questions. Javen, what are you thankful for? When, and one other thing. When you, when, you have, when you sit down as a family, if you have a family dinners or time to get, you get together as your family, when you're talking about your day, my wife loves to call it our happy crappy moments. What was your happy crappy moments of the day? When you're talking about those moments, add to it, what are you grateful for? What, what happened today that you're grateful for? What friend were you grateful for today? What teacher, that'll challenge them, were you grateful for today? What student, if you're a teacher, were you grateful for today? Who in your life, you see what I'm saying? You say, Javen, why do I do all these things? What did Paul say? I learned to be content. How did he learn? By creating an habitual lifestyle of putting it into practice. When you put gratitude into practice in your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become more and more grateful. And you're going to become more and more content in your life, just like Paul did. And you'll learn to live with a full amount of blessings or with just enough to get by whatever that stage of life you're in because you're content in him. You become more and more aware of the goodness of God. And the more you become aware of the goodness of God, the more you become content and the more you gain in godliness, which is true wealth. Stand with me this morning. In the front line, I'm sorry I threw this curveball at you. But I thought, I started thinking, we talk about gratefulness why not end this morning being grateful to the one who provides it all? Father, we just thank you today for your goodness. And we thank you for all that you have provided us with. And God, as we celebrate you this morning, we pray that we will see and realize that everything we need, you've provided. All that we need, God, it is in you. 
And Father, that's why Jesus told us to seek you first. Put our relationship with the Heavenly Father over every other pursuit. To seek godliness in this life. To pursue righteousness. To pursue love. To pursue endurance. To pursue all of those things. The qualities that come from God. Because as we pursue those things in our life, Father, we're going to grow in who you've called us to be. So, Father, we are thankful for you today. Help our hearts be always grateful to know that what we need has been provided in you. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.